0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In early 2019, on the campus of Ave Maria University, uh, there took place a conference called Aquinas, the Biblical Theologian. It was sponsored by the Aquinas Center in Ave Maria, Florida, and the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology in Steubenville. And uh, conference co-host Matthew Levering was there and uh, learning and uh, working with other scholars on this question of St. Thomas Aquinas as a biblical theologian. Uh, Matthew is the uh, author of many books. Uh, He's also recently The Abuse of Conscience, A Century of Catholic Moral Theology. He also serves as chair of theology at Mundelein Seminary in Illinois, and uh, Dr. Levering is really uh, pointed to as one of those who are helping the Church recover this uh, aspect of St. Thomas Aquinas, and that is his, the importance of his biblical commentaries and his own the way, scripture, the rule of scripture in his own method. Matthew, good to have you back here. Thanks.
1: Uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you, Al.
0: Let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, just give us an idea of the status of Saint. Thomas Aquinas, in the thought of the church,
1: well, I think it's um, unparalleled. you know it's uh, he's a common doctor, you know and for and for good reason mm-hmm. and uh, let me let me begin with, let me begin by mentioning that's an important thing that that I want uh, listeners to understand about St. Thomas and Scripture because here in the second part of his Summa Theologiae, you know it has three parts. In the second part alone, he quotes more than half the chapters of the Old Testament. <laughs> he quotes from more than half, that's not the books, he quotes almost all the books of the Old Testament, but more than half the chapters. Wow. Think about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, he, when there was the, the revival uh, after Leo Thirteenth, the Thomistic revival after Leo Thirteenth, they didn't seem to catch The importance of Scripture with St. Thomas. They were more interested in the philosophical. The neo Thomas seemed to be more interested in the philosophical dimension. Is that
1: right? Well, that's right. It had to do with the historical context because of um, certain philosophical uh, tendencies had come up in Vatican I and had had to be condemned, coming out of Kant and Hegel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they were they were really um, going back to St. Thomas uh, for that. Uh, philosophical uh, sanity, so they did emphasize, they emphasized the uh, uh, philosophical work yeah. of course, of course, um, uh, Cardinal Cajetan um, commented on many, almost all the books of scripture, so he, he commented on St. Thomas and on Scripture. Wow. Uh, Cajetan did. Mm-hmm. So
0: early on, uh, there was this aware at the Reformation era, they were aware of St. Thomas as a biblical commentator.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Uh how was that lost?
1: Well that's a that's a good question. Now now there it, it never was entirely lost, and then, of course there's a tradition um of of amazing biblical commentaries, uh but uh, going on through the seventeen hundreds and eighteen hundreds. But the thing is the the thing is though that as as the biblical uh, commentary as the genre became more complicated. That essentially, through historical research, okay, you know, it became more and more, um, more and more its own discipline, as it were, and separated in a way uh, from from theology. So that was that was um, something that happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, when did the interest in Saint Thomas as a biblical uh, theologian uh, begin being picked up again in a serious way?
1: Well, that's a good I, it, certainly certainly by um, some French scholars, um, uh, survey Pinker uh, who taught at Freiburg in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there were there were others. In fact in fact my interest in it came about through my teacher Father Matthew Lamb. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, you knew Father Lamb. Yeah, and yeah. He he, mm-hmm. tr- he translated one of Aquinas's biblical commentaries as a young monk. Huh. Uh, there in the monastery in the Trappist monastery, he translated. Uh, Aquinas on, uh, I think, was Ephesians, and so that was that was important to me right off, right off the bat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, how did uh, did Thomas see? Obviously, by his by his reliance on half the chapters of the Old Testament uh, in the Summa, uh, he was aware of the importance of Scripture. So how did scripture play into his method of teaching he was he was principally a teacher right
1: oh uh, yeah an ama- amazing teacher of course and 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 the um he quoted half the chapters of the old testament but that's only in the second part of the summa so in yeah, the right. first and the third parts he he quotes a lot a lot more so so uh well the thing is is that oftentimes when you read the summa theologiae and I'm distinguishing that from the biblical commentaries themselves. Yes. But when you read the Summa, what you're going to find is sort of a biblical theology that's built into a particular treatise. So let's say you're reading um, the Summa's questions on baptism. Well, if you go through and you pick out all the different biblical quotes, and they'll be all scattered around, if you pick them out and just sort of write them all down, you're going to notice that this is a full and rich biblical theology that he has um, put into... His treaties, but in a way that sort of functions as a as like a scaffolding, sort of undergirds yes the, um the, the treatise as he 's reflecting upon particular problems that arise when we try to understand what is baptism what's it, what is its nature, uh, and so on
0: um, so so when you 're reading the Summa, then, his brilliance as a biblical theologian. Kind of serves the purpose of his, uh, the other questions that he's dealing with. Uh, he doesn't stop and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a biblical theology of baptism, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good.
1: And the, and the problems that he usually is addressing come from the church fathers, um, issues that they have raised or issues that have been raised in the life of the church, you know, like, um, what what does baptism do? What does it accomplish? Mm-hmm. These type of things.
0: Yeah, so he's settling some questions that were uh, irregularities in the tradition. Um, it, it, there's a f- one phrase that's been used of him, and that is that he's a uh, master or teacher of the sacred page. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that common title of his uh, when he was alive?
1: Yeah, that, that's right. It it is because he that was his um, professional uh, job. You know, that was his main task was to comment on scripture, and so he would he would do that every every day, and and so of course we have that's how we have his biblical commentaries, um, the ones that were written down by scribes. Scribes would be in the as it were among the students and they would be writing down uh, his his comments oh. um, as he as he lectured. So his main task was to lecture on scripture, and, and that that was true for all the Parisian masters of theology.
0: Uh, so, how did he approach the text? What was uh, talk to me about the literal sense of the text?
1: Well, it is it's very interesting. I mean, for him, the literal sense um, includes elements that that moderate that you know historical critical uh, versions of the literal sense would. Would not include, for example, he would include within the literal sense um, a reference to, to Christ in many psalms. But, but it is, it, it's something to notice, though, that when he's commenting on the book of Isaiah, I was, I was expecting, when I read his commentary on the book of Isaiah, I was expecting it to be, you know, deeply Christological, and it is. But on the other hand, it's very much attuned to the history of Israel and to Israel's own experiences, and to Israel's own history, to the to the um, all, all the uh, exile and everything else, um, he's got it all in, in view. So it's very attuned uh, historically.
0: So he he takes the historical sense seriously. Then that's, he's not just seeing types all over the place.
1: That, that's right. He's yeah, absolutely. Of course, the New Testament itself sees sees types all over the place right. in a certain way. But but yes, he takes. Um, history extremely seriously, now his understanding of history is deeply um, in a way it's the same as ours, but it's also different in a way that I would call a sacramental understanding of history mm-hmm. because he realizes that there's no reason to assume that history doesn't involve god's presence god 's providence god's action so history right. is deeply um, god, god is present in history it'd be like telling the history of your life al without talking about God's presence and power in your life. Right. It would be impossible. Right, right. He, he recognizes that history, that real history, has to is unintelligible, really, without a sense that God is providently and powerfully present in history. So that's, that's um, what I call his participatory or sacramental understanding of history. And that was common to the Church Fathers and the, the Medievals, or, or to John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman, as well.
0: So they wouldn't see. Uh, I mean, let's see how to put this. So they wouldn't see religious history uh, as somehow other than real history.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, you could. They still understood that you could talk about. Um, you can talk about historical events without bringing in God, and 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 we see, we do see, for example, in the book First and Second Samuel, often talk about. Or, or the books of Kings, um, but but on the other hand, so it's possible to talk about historical events, or just like I would do if I told you what happened during my day today. Right. But but nonetheless, um, God is so powerfully present that it, it's just this is you don't have history unless you have some real sense of of God's action and, and providence and, and power because that's we experience that in our lives and, and we know it, we know it's true.
0: So, did he have a good sense that the same world that Abraham and Isaiah were living in uh that that's the world he's living in
1: oh yeah absolutely now now he didn't you know he wouldn't he wouldn't know as much as as we do today you know we we do have extra all sorts of extra um you know we have the archaeological digs or sure. whatever you know that so he wouldn't he he didn't know as much as we do today about the world of the past except for he did understand. In a sense, he understood more about it, because he was very much on the same wavelength as Isaiah. He yeah. understood that God was present and powerful. <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, referring yeah. to as part- participatory view uh, 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 of Scripture. He's part of that whole historical story. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that we... Uh, that's something that needs to be recovered uh, by many Catholics today.
1: So, hmm It's crucial. Yeah. You
0: know. Uh, Matthew, uh, h- hang in with me. You've got to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation with Dr. Matthew Levering. We're looking at St. Thomas Aquinas as a biblical theologian. Again, people often, uh, when they think of St. Thomas, they think of him, uh, well, he's a philosopher. He did all that stuff with Aristotle. Or they say, well, he's really a theologian and catechist. But uh, many times people don't realize how thoroughly invested he was in Scripture. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We're taking a look at St. Thomas Aquinas uh, as a biblical theologian. In fact, there's a volume titled Thomas Aquinas, Biblical Theologian, edited by Roger Nutt and Michael Dauphiné. And uh, my guest, Dr. Matthew Levering, has uh, contributed a chapter to it too, uh, as, again, part of this recovery of St. Thomas as a biblical theologian. Uh, Matthew, when he looks at Scripture, he determines first of all, what it says, then what it means, and then how to apply it is that right
1: yeah I think you could yeah, you could put it you could put it that way it's um it 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 will depend it will depend upon the the scriptural verse okay you know and he'll yeah, so there will be you know he's but that but that sounds good I think what you what you said works <laughs> okay
0: all right <laughs> um. You have a chapter in the book here on sin and grace uh, for in the Christian life, according to uh, uh, Saint Paul and also Saint Thomas Aquinas. Um, you know, when you think of the the uh, arguments uh, in history of Christian thought, we think of the arguments over justification during the sixteenth century. Uh, you mentioned that Cajetan uh, uh, relies on Saint Thomas Aquinas uh, in his. Uh, uh, arguments in the uh, again sixteenth century. What what does Th- Saint Thomas bring to the debate that, from Luther's perspective, divided the church? This question of justification by faith alone.
1: Well, Luther Luther was of course an amazing figure in many ways, and he he his whole experience was the experience of sin, you right. know, And that and so he really experienced himself as a sinner. And in need of, in desperate need of redemption, and so he he essentially uh, was raised upon um, textbooks, including one by Gabriel Beale, uh, that were, were Pelagian, and and Luther uh, realized that, that if 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 God really was the God of the Pelagians. Then uh, Luther himself uh, would have no chance.
0: Yes, you know, <laughs> and, and so
1: this was this was his existential um, motivation. So, so now Saint Thomas, though he he has this incredible understanding of virtue, and he, and he draws from Scripture the the, um, the the various virtues, of course. Um, and but that's he also has a wonderful sense of sin and vice. And so, in my essay, I'm I'm using Saint Paul's. Uh, discussion of the corinthians and saint thomas's commentary on the corinthian church mm-hmm. you know his commentary of um the different things saint paul says about the uh, corinthian church just to help us understand ourselves as as sinners yeah as fallen but yet as as in uh called by god's grace and and so on
0: yeah i mean the corinthians are a great example of a messed up messed-up yeah, church, yeah. <laughs> and yet Saint exactly. Paul addresses them as saints, which i i think is often lost on us
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so so i th- I do think that saint thomas um gets to the to the core there of um you know what what it means to be to be the church and and to be um you know called called by god and 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 so on so that that was the that's the point of my reflection there,
0: yeah um I notice you also deal with the question of spiritual gifts. Uh anything special in Thomas's understanding of these uh spiritual gifts that St Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14?
1: Well, that's that's a complicated that's a complicated question, you know, because um well, in in St the whole the whole you I mean you get into issues like the issues of um, you know, the charismatic gifts, the speaking the speaking in tongues right. And, and, right. and so on. Right and and i don't i mean i don't know i mean in saint thomas's time you know that that it it wasn't um i'm not sure uh, you know to tell you the truth i i don't really i don't remember in his commentary um i'm not sure i had all my all my questions answered but yeah. so that was okay no. because <laughs> because he, a lot of it was i mean his the basic sense the basic sense of the different the um the church has, as the mystical body, with the different gifts and the and people given given these different gifts to for the edification of the whole body, you know that that was that's profoundly present in St. Thomas. That, yeah, that aspect.
0: Yeah. So, so I mean, he. So that's good. So he he had um, in his treatment of it. If uh, again, if you recall. So the. The fact of gifts that were present; these were gifts that were expressed by the laity, right?
1: Yeah, that, that's true. No, it is. It is true. And then um, now, now I I think the the key thing for me, of course, is the edification, building up the body. But exactly, then also yeah. also just to to um, get back to that point that you mentioned just a second ago, which is that St Thomas was profoundly aware of. And, and of course, St. Paul also does that the Church is, is, um, in a certain sense, the Church is divine, but Mm -hmm. in a certain sense, the Church is human. And so we we really have to have patience, and and we have to understand that, that look at, um, you know, sinners are involved here, including ourselves. Right. You know, and so St. Thomas really brings that out in a way that is rich, while while not not in any way um, weakening the sense that... The fullness of the church, the actual living uh, part of the church is um being sanctified mm-hmm. you know is is being caught up in that grace yes yes mm-hmm. uh,
0: does he uh, does he spend much time uh t- dealing with the the question of the kingdom um and has it been, did Christ inaugurate the kingdom? Are we awaiting the kingdom? Does he deal with that question of the already and the not yet?
1: Well, he, he does. He does at a certain place. So, um, and, but oftentimes you're going to find him talking about the kingdom. He talks about it some in his commentary on Matthew, where you would expect to find it. Right. right. Um, of course, Paul doesn't talk that much about the kingdom, so right. he doesn't, doesn't, um, St. Thomas doesn't use kingdom language there. Yeah. But then in his commentary on the sentences, which is Peter Lombard's sentences, he also distinguishes different meanings of of the kingdom. Now, the, the important thing, though, um, so I think he, he understands all this, but but it is true that if you read biblical scholars today, such as like um, Brant Petrie mm-hmm. or other other wonderful biblical scholars, as they're writing about Jesus and the kingdom and the inauguration of the kingdom, it does it sounds different from reading um, St. Thomas's um, where he talks about Christ and and salvation, mm-hmm. but so I'm, I'm I'm working on a project right now that brings those two together. Oh, good! You know, essentially, bringing bringing um, Brant Petrie and St Thomas together in a way that in a way that Brant, uh, you know, fully, um, you know, he he loves that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, you know, are his are St Thomas's commentaries? Uh, are they are they being published?
1: Well, they are. They are in in Latin English editions. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is all being done by the Aquinas in, Institute. Um, you know, it started off with some guys that um, who were at Abingua at originally, and then then um, at Wyoming Catholic, and and so they're they're still working on it. Um, you know, the different translations are appearing. In fact, I had a I had a a, um, a great priest here who did a licentiate degree with with me who translated. For his licentia degree, he translated Aquinas's commentary on Jeremiah, the first time it had ever been translated in English. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> that's great.
1: That
0: is great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a great
1: commentary, too. <laughs>
0: yeah. I uh, No, I, I, I've been surprised. I mean, when I was, you know, I mean, years ago, I didn't uh, really know very much. I still don't know very much, really, about St. Thomas compared to many others. But I always thought of him as, you know, this philosopher figure, uh, and then, quickly, uh, Bill Reardon disabused my mind of that and demonstrated <laughs> that uh, St. Thomas was, in fact, a, a really a master teacher uh, who thought uh, theologically. But it's only in recent years that I've been trying to—understanding the importance of Scripture uh, in his life. And I'm, it's a, it is amazing to me that that was, um, that that was kind of overlooked— uh, as people had this Thomistic revival in the nineteenth, in the well, the twentieth century primarily, um, mm-hmm. and I really I got your point earlier that they were answering different questions because of the the uh, mm-hmm. philosophical climate that they had to deal with. Uh, but
1: yeah, they were. But it, it, it still it still would have been great. And and I tell you, I tell you, in addition to final Lamb, I should I should mention that what what happened to you me, know, I was a master student at Duke, and I, and Tim Gray, now now the president of the Augustine Institute, got yeah. a hold of me. And so Tim was there, Tim was there getting a advanced degree at, at Duke, and he, he got a hold of me, and he and Michael Duffin, Duffin and, and I became really close friends, and so Tim said, look, we've got to read Aquinas, and we've got to read Scripture. And Tim had gotten this from, from Scott Hahn. Of course, <laughs> Tim was just, he was fresh from Steubenville. Yeah. So that was for me that was very uh, oh, inspirational good.
0: and <laughs> now that's wonderful that's just wonderful uh so we should expect over the next few years more and more uh emphasis on saint thomas as a a biblical thinker
1: absolutely absolutely because um scripture is the soul of theology and and so this is um and now saint thomas is a is a deeply biblical thinker and and the key, though, is that in order to, as you're reading along in Scripture, you, you read these, um, you might read a statement about God repenting, or you run into these questions that you have. Like, yes. You know, what kind, you know, what is this God um, who is doing this or that, and, and so on? And, and so these questions, um, you, you come from Scripture, and then you also engage these, these questions. Aquinas is really perfect for that. He helps you um, engage the questions that arise out of Scripture, yeah. And and so he's he then he you sort of come from scripture, enter into the reflection, and then go back into scripture. Yeah, yeah. kind of a circular a circular movement uh, with his commentaries.
0: Well, I I notice in one of the essays in this uh, volume, Thomas Aquinas, biblical theologian, that First uh, Timothy one uh, one, uh, where Paul greets Timothy, he gives him wishes for grace, mercy, and peace, and Thomas asks why three gifts are mentioned there. When his other epistles, uh, Paul wishes only two gifts for the recipients, you know, grace and peace. And I just think, you know, that's a, that's a marvelous detail to seize upon. And then St. Thomas answers that uh, it's because of the need uh, uh, Timothy has in his office. He needs mercy. given uh, that I love it. I love you know, it. <laughs> pre- prelates need more mercy. And I thought, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love it. I exactly, exactly. That, that's great. That is great. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna be doing a conference um, next year, an international conference on St. his commentary on Hebrews. Wow! So that's gonna be a lot of fun, and, and of course, Hebrews has uh, so much um, talk about theology. Hebrews is so intensely theological and, and difficult. Very yes, difficult, you know.
0: Yeah, and and again, lots um, so. of emphasis on the Old Testament system, sacrificial system, and the superiority exactly. of Christ. Where is that gonna be?
1: Uh, that'll be here at Mundeline.
0: It'll be at Mundeline. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next year, we'll have to just make sure we have that. Um, do you have dates for it yet?
1: Yeah, it's uh, September. What is it? September second to fourth?
0: Okay, very good. Well, yeah. we'll keep that in mind. Yeah, it'll,
1: it'll be fun. It will. We got we got Father Thomas Joseph White and various various scholars as well, um, all sorts of people. It's, a, it's a good. Group
0: Great uh, for people who want to follow through and learn a little bit more about St. Thomas as a, a, a student of scripture, as a teacher of scripture, uh, any place in particular they should go
1: Well, I think the first the first place is probably to Jean Pierre Terrell's book, Thomas Aquinas Spiritual Master yeah that, that's a very important book, yeah, um, yeah very wonderful book. So that'll, that'll give him a sense. That's a good starting point, I
0: think. Okay, Jean-Pierre Terrell, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, spiritual master. Very yeah. good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Matthew. Good being with you, and I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. Hey, wonderful.
1: Thanks,
0: Al. Dr. Matthew Levering, again, uh, really one of the fig- chief figures in helping recover uh, St. Thomas Aquinas as a biblical theologian.